Welcome to HR Latte, your podcast connection to all things HR. Caring for people is imperative for today's progressive business. Listen in as Rayanne Thorne Kruger gets personal with practitioners and technologists, experts, and thought leaders who care about the world of human resources, hiring, and employee engagement. And now, sit back and sip your next cup of talent management blended to perfection. Hey, everyone. Welcome to HR Latte. I'm Rayanne Thorne Kruger, your host. I'm very excited to continue my series on diversity. My hope is for 2022 that I cover all different areas that are considered diverse, whether it's neurodiversity or handicapped or disabled. As I'm learning, there are different ways to say this. And also, of course, racism, genderism, sexism, all of the isms, LGBTQIA plus awareness and pride and acceptance. So on that note, I would love to welcome a longtime friend of mine, Stephen Lamprinos to HR Latte. And we're going to talk a little bit about autism awareness. Hey, Stephen, thanks for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It is so nice to hear your voice and talk to you. It's been a long time since we've seen each other. You moved way too far away from California. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and what you're doing these days. Well, I'm out on the eastern shore of Virginia, which is between Virginia Beach and Maryland. We're in a small town called Massawatics. Wow. And we, yeah, we moved to uh, Indian. It means land between two waters. Oh. We moved to, you know, have a better cost of living than California and to have more land and more square feet in our home space for my son, Kurt. Okay. Well, you mentioned your son and that's who we're going to be talking about today and your experiences as a parent. April is autism awareness, but I know that there's been a movement in the last year or so to switch gears on that and call it autism acceptance. Still understanding that awareness is part of that and advocacy also. And I think I read yesterday that, so they're kind of calling it 4A and I don't know if you can add to that at all. So it's the autism awareness, acceptance, and advocacy for April. But I don't want it to just be in April. I think this is an ongoing education for each of us to learn and grow and see how we can help, assist, and drive change. So let's talk about your son, Kurt. Tell me a little bit about what that experience was like when he was younger, when you received the news that he was autistic. Well, we were a little different than most people as my wife's sister has two boys that are both older than Kurt who both have autism. So we were always kind of on the lookout for possibilities of that. We maybe waited a little longer than we should have to get him diagnosed, but it's still traumatic even if you think it might be a possibility when you find out. And The process was a little unnerving, you know, the way it goes about and the way it happens when you get that official diagnosis. Yeah. So tell me about that. Did you suspect first and then take it to the doctor or did the doctor? Yeah. Yeah. We absolutely, you know, had some suspicions about it. It it felt, what it felt like is that he was going on his normal childhood behaviors and growing and growth. And then around one and a half, it seemed like things stalled. And in fact, at one and a half around there, he had a seizure that we happened to catch on film where he was just fine. And then his eyes kind of rolled back and he was back in place. Mm -hmm. That kind of 
shook us to our core somewhat. And it felt like his development had stalled. Okay. And that, and not just stalled, like when he was younger, he would eat everything. And then all of a sudden he became extremely picky. Mm. So it, it just, there's things that felt like almost like a slip backwards. So, and there was other people around us that of course said, oh, you know, we knew it. Well, well we knew it too. Maybe we were wrongfully optimistic and hopeful. Maybe, you know, when you know the worst, it's not the worst, obviously. I mean, right. he's a wonderful boy. But when you know that the possibility of something like this is happening, you maybe can try to push it aside a little longer than we should have. So when we did finally get the start, the ball rolling in the diagnosis, one of the things that happens is you have all these different behavioral people come in and they spend like an hour with them and they measure tests. We had like three different people that came on for different elements of who he was. And it's just crazy because especially with autism, is he having a good day? Is he having a bad day? I mean, it's such a random moment for them to come in and say, oh, this is okay. Now we've got him figured out and this will go into the report when it goes to the final one. And we had one doctor that came in and he was like, you know, because he climbs something aggressively, he's going, oh, he's hypersensitive and, you know, he's got no fear and he's going to always be in trouble for getting hurt and all this stuff. Oh. And that's just turned out nonsense. He's actually a very careful, cautious kid who, when he's walking up or down stairs or climbing any kind of like pool ladder, let's say, or, you know, higher stairs up, he's extremely careful. He doesn't do what this doctor in like a quick couple minute observation of one type of behavior decided he would do. So I understand all those resources are stretched thin. Yes. So they can only do what they want. And it's very wham, bam, here's the test. Oh, we decided he's this, he's that. Which is interesting to go on a side note. All your services, all your possibilities for getting into different schools or different classes or getting different resources from the government all depend on these little testings. And some autistic kids, sometimes they have great days and they're not extreme. And then the very next day, they're totally extreme and they would have gone off the charts on the test. So I happen to know from talking to lots of other parents of autistic kids that sometimes when they have a test coming up that's important, they will deviate their child's schedule. So oh, like if they're used okay. to going to get a snack at, at one o'clock and then going to play on the swings at one fifteen or one thirty, they won't let them do it. So it already gets them in an agitated state. So when they go take these tests, they can test you know, out and show that, hey, look, he does have problems. He's not going to have a great day. And all of a sudden you say that, well, he doesn't really need that much help. I understand. And when you know, being with him 24-7, yes, he does need that help. I'm sorry you caught him on a great day. I hope he <laughs> has many more great days, but it's not who he is 24-7. Now, that's the one thing about Kurt. We have absolutely never worried about how he tests because you can obviously tell that he's autistic. Yeah, okay. You can tell speech delayed. He's never had a moment where the guy goes, well, I, you know, he seems to be doing great or I don't see it. Or, you know, it's, he's going to test well enough that for whatever services we need, we will receive. I'm assuming they have like type one or level one. What, where would Kurt fall into? What have you been told? So I don't, be honest with you, I know this is going to sound bad on my part, but I, all that stuff like that, I hardly ever even read the reports once they've given it to me. Okay. I'll skip. I'll see it. My wife, Jessica, she reads the reports and they send her in depression. Yeah. And it's also 
there's good people working out there and they recognize these kids need help and they know if they don't write these reports in a certain way, they may not get that assistance. Okay. Which is the big shame, the hoops we have to jump through to get help for our children in this country. You are not the first person to say that to me. So you're right. It is a big shame. It's sad. It's understandable why Jessica would react that way. Yes. I think, honestly, don't know if there's levels of autism. I mean, I know there is, um, there's a spectrum, of course. And, you know, I see tons of people on Facebook who sit there and are talking about, oh, I'm autistic and I've got this and that, you know, you need to respect me. You need to respect my diagnosis. And I'm like, you know what? I will. I get that. And you're very high functioning autistic. Mm. So for you to sit here and demand all this attention, sometimes to me, because of the situation I'm in can seem slightly insulting. Right. Because you have no idea what it's like when you're extremely autistic. And he is extremely autistic. And I, I mean, at least from, you know, I'm talking initial diagnosis here and where he was at. I mean, you know, he keeps showing his growth and all that. We'll get into that later. But so the initial diagnosis, he got it. He was a little, probably about two and a half, maybe, and maybe a little less than that. And he got diagnosed at the Franklin J. Lanterman building. I think it's in Mid Wilshire. Okay. So in Los Angeles. Yes, in Los Angeles. And when he got the diagnosis, then it opened him up to all these different programs. And one of them was this amazing program in Pasadena that is a national program. It's for pre-kindergarten and actually preschool age kids. And it's called Good to Grow. Good to Grow. And they actually do age out of it. It's just for like the early, basically almost like the one one to like three-year-old at the most. Like it depends when you graduate and you're getting ready to start school. And when you, I think when you turn three, you have to leave the program. And Good to Grow most amazing group of people that we have been with. We've had some great people since, but that place was wonderful. I wish they had a good to grow program for special needs kids that went all the way up through high school because they got the idea right. They really take care of people. So that if someone is experiencing this for the first time, you can go to it from all over. Although the school was in Pasadena, people were coming from all over Los Angeles. Okay. So I know Kurt just turned eight, correct? Just had his eighth birthday. Big happy birthday to Kurt. Thank you. As he's gotten older, has it become more difficult to find the right doctors and the support for your family? I know in a past conversation, we talked about your ABA, which I believe I've done a little research. I may be be incorrect here and remembering incorrectly, but stands for Applied Behavioral Analyst or Analysis. ABA, is that I correct? Think, yeah, I believe that is. Okay. I know it's applied. Applied behavior. Okay. Sure. So how yeah. how difficult has it been to find the right, well, and how would you even know if they're right, but to know what the right resources are, to know the right forward movement for Kurt? Well, we started all this stuff in California. So when we were trying to get ABA for Kurt originally, we were applying out in California. We ended up getting ABA for a brief period of time there. and. Again, it's these hoops you have to jump through, the waiting list, the time, that nothing goes easily or smooth. And the sad thing is, is every second counts. Right. Every right. moment counts for getting these kids ahead of the game, for getting these kids, start adapting them in their learning because they can flourish in it. So Kurt was supposed to get some food therapy because he was not, his eating had gotten poor, as I said. He was right. not eating that. And it's been a continual problem is eating. 
So along the same time we were getting ABA, we were supposed to be getting someone who's going to come in and help us with his feeding habits. And we ended up getting the ABA, but by the time we left California, even though we've been doing it for like six months, we never saw anyone for his food habits. So it, it just drags and it depresses you as you know his caretaker when you know what he needs and you know that it's out there, but you go through so much red tape and so much paperwork and there's so much, and also a lack of funding, a lack of resources and a lack of people working it. So you can't always get it. But when we did get the ABA in California, the person we got was horrible. Oh, It was a waste of time. And then not only that, she was constantly calling out sick or having some emergency crop up that she couldn't make it. So his limited amount of hours that he gets, and it's not much, they'll only schedule you on your insurances, depending on what kind of insurance you have as well. You only get scheduled for so many hours. And so if you lose it, you lose it. And the funny thing is, if you lose them on their end, there's no thing about them making it up and responsibility for them to make good on that. But if you have some kind of stuff happen here, you can be booted out of the program for an extended absences, even if they're excused. And that's partly because there's so many other people that want to get in. So our experience in California was there was a lot more choices of places we could try to get ABA from. And the one we got was bad. But even that, again, like I said, we, we'd call up all these different ABA and then, well, we don't take that insurance. We don't take this insurance. You know, we only take these. So you go through that. And even to get those answers, it can take a long time. So it's this draining of your resources and your time. And, and they're not plentiful enough. And so I you, can't speak. Go ahead. I can't, I can't speak how schools are out. But, you know, you've got these special needs programs. Right. At least for here. Our first teacher, we didn't think was that great out here in Virginia. We were very disappointed in her and we had some issues with her. But he's now in first grade through, he goes up until fourth grade, first through fourth out in the school. They're in the same class. And we're fortunate we have two amazing teachers here in this classroom. But that's the thing, especially like in an area out here where it's such limited resources. It's luck of the draw that we got these two great teachers at his grade school he goes to right now. Yeah. And the other thing is, because again, it's lack of space, lack of um, funds for these things. He's got to leave this school at fourth grade and then move to a completely different school for his fifth through eighth. Out here, they don't even get to go to the same grade school like most kids would. Special needs kids are a lot of times an afterthought or a second thought as far as educators go. And look, I can't completely blame them because, again, look what our country does to educators. They don't put the resources into our public education. Private schools, a lot of times, there's only one private school out here, so I can't speak for California, but I have a feeling a lot of the private schools would do the same thing. The one private school out here won't take a special needs kid because they just don't want the distraction. Right. It's right there in the name, special needs. You know, sometimes they're going to need a little more attention. Right. So you don't even have the opportunity to possibly send them to a school that, like, I got, I got to go to private school. So I got, you know, the benefit of that, but I can't give that to my son. So that's sometimes depressing. That's got to be the hardest thing because not only does he have different needs, special needs, but you as a parent have different needs and special needs because you've got to figure out how to navigate a system to find the best resources for your child. In the meantime, your child isn't receiving those resources. So you as a parent are working overtime, right? 
yes, I started to get Kurt into, I started talking to the school teacher before I moved to Virginia. I started, sure. you know, making contact who the teacher was going to be. I started trying to call who we might be getting for speed or OT at a separate little clinic. There's a great little place down here, little hands, little feet. They're doing wonderful work. I believe they might be national. I'm not sure, but they're here and they're doing great work with the people they have there. I started talking to them early. The one that was really tough was ABA because there's just absolutely no ABA programs out here on the shore. And there's this bridge where there's tolls that you, it's like a, you go to get to Virginia side and it's about an hour to get to the shore from Virginia beach, Norfolk area, which is like the main big cities that are near us. And that's where some of the programs are located or some of the teachers are located. And there's just not people out here doing ABA on the shore. And I had to fight to get on a waiting list. Mm. And even when I got on this waiting list, I was told at one point that, okay, you're the next person on the waiting list. And then later on, I, but I kept calling because, you know, you can't believe anything they say. And it's not against them. It's just, you know, they're bureaucrats that are underfunded. And I, so I kept calling. And at one point they said, well, you got moved. And I said, no, 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 no. I did not get moved. You told me I was next. I don't care what you're trying to tell me now. <laughs> you're trying to, you told me I was the next person in line. And they had to begrudgingly let me have that mm. because they had told me that. And the thing is out here, I planned these spots and I, and I knew what I was in for. But there's a lot of people out here that don't even know that some of these services are possibly available to them because it's not widely spoken out out here. Even the schools don't talk about it. You know, there's not people saying, hey, maybe you should look into this. There's very limited resources for people that have these kids to go get help. Some of these, I'm fortunate because my situation with my family, that my father and mother are supportive of so much of Kurt that they take a lot of burden off of me. So I can spend all this time doing this. Doing the research. But there's, during the research, calling people, because that takes hours of a day. Right. And there's people out here that just don't have that. They don't have that time because they're working two jobs just to put food on their table. And both parents are working two jobs and to keep the rent and the food. So you don't know about these resources. So they're just lacking. We have to invest in this because a lot of these kids could improve so much. That's the one great thing, jumping ahead. His speech teacher is at school and at Little Hands, Little Feet, where we go. His regular teachers, he goes to Akahonic, you know, elementary school. His teacher said, his ABA instructor says it. I see it. He has made such incredible growth. His ability to grow and learn and improve his condition has been amazing. But that's because of all of us putting this time in. But does it have to do with consistency too? I mean, it sounds like you have educators, caregivers across several areas in your life, in Kurt's life. And so that consistency, yeah. he needs that. It benefits him ultimately. And that turns around and benefits you and your family so that you and Jess can continue forward with what you I mean. Even if you have a child that is not autistic or is not special needs, you're still doing education at home. You're still helping your child grow in the ways of the world. So how is that for you to navigate between education, academics, and education becoming a full human, right? That we do, that we ultimately well, do as human beings. To be honest, so 
talk a little about Kurtz and the background. He's nonverbal for the most part. Okay. And he started saying a few words years ago. He can say a few words, but he, he doesn't always go to them. He's been able to say words for a few years. But like I said, he'll, he'll just throw them out occasionally. Okay. And he has a speech device, which again, it's vital. He uses a speech device all the time. Like he has a little iPhone that, it's not like it's spoiled, but he has an iPhone that he needs these things to help him calm down and, and stand right. and keep his mind focused. Right. And he goes all the time. But he'll bring his speech device and tell me he needs a little help finding his phone. He'll use his speech device to say he's, he's hungry. He wants to eat. He wants to drink. If he's having emotions, he can use his speech device. And the thing like you said about consistency. So what the consistency is, I have to make sure that everyone from his speech teacher at school to, I, I got the speech device through uh, Little Hands, Little Feet and Miss Sarah, his speech therapist. And there's a particular way it's used. So I have to make sure that what Miss Sarah's plan is for how to teach him to use the speech device and to continue to grow with it, I have to make sure that it's being done during ABA, that it's being done during school with right. his teachers and therapists at school, and you know, and that we're using it the same way. Right. So that's the thing. You have to really try to maintain the consistent form of learning. And we've been really lucky is that everyone's willing to talk to each other and work with each other. You know. That's the one beautiful thing out here that these people are willing to do that. The ABA has gone into the school and talked to the teachers. Miss um, uh, Brandy, his ABA instructor, has talked to Mrs. Bell and Mrs. Gentry, who are his teachers at school. They've talked to Miss Sarah. His, he has an occupational therapy teacher at school, Miss Cheryl, who did amazing work recognizing that he loved water and, and that water therapy would work really well for him. So we'd go to the Y and she did a bunch of water therapy with him. Okay. And blossoms with that. It's finding the little things that these kids can blossom with and being consistent with it. So you, you, said. you said we've been lucky that all of these things have happened, that we've been able to work. But I, it sounds to me, Stephen, more like you've just been a hard worker at this, that you've worked really hard to make sure that your son receives the care, the help, the education that he needs, that you need, so that all of you as a family can thrive and move forward and look to the future. Yes, my wife and I have done a lot of hard work to get all these things to happen. But when I say I'm, I'm lucky is that these people, because they're concerned with his care, they're willing to put away any ego mm. and find a common thread of how we can all work together and keep consistent in the lesson. Because that's the thing. As I said, the previous teacher was a nightmare. Yeah. So it's a luck of the draw. Right. And it's not like I could go, well, you know what? We have a lot of problems as a teacher. We'd like to go to a different classroom. I don't have that option. I don't even have different schools I can go to. Whereas like you could probably fight to get out of the school district in other areas. It's very limited here. So it's very tough. Yeah. Right. I can just imagine how difficult it is. When I was about 21, 22 years old, I had a horrible experience. And I've only shared this a couple of times. I think you're one of the people that I've shared this with. I, I worked in a children's dental office and we saw special needs cases, children who had rampant decay, and we'd have to check them into the hospital to do the work just to get it all done at once instead of having four or five visits, right? And we had one child that would come in regularly. He was probably 14, 15 years old, and he would come in with his entire family, not parents, all siblings, so younger siblings and older siblings. And he was autistic. And it was the most traumatic thing that I can remember ever happening to me as a young adult watching how this boy was treated in order to get him to behave. And so 
that was my introduction to autism as a young 20. I didn't even have children myself yet. And it was very traumatic. And I wonder, do you worry? Does, do things like this, when you hear stories like that, let's just say there was violence used to get him to sit in the dental chair. I don't want to go into any more detail because it's really hard for me to talk about. And he would come in every six months, like clockwork. The family was adamant about him having dental care, but the way that it was done was horrifying. And it wasn't long before I left that office because I couldn't watch it. You know, I, I didn't understand why the office let it happen. Why? So how do you feel when you look forward and think about the potential of somebody not really understanding or caring enough about Kurt to help him get through experiences, whether it's something as simple as a dental visit or going to school. Well, those are huge worries. And, you know, of course, there's all the horror stories you see where the thing is, it's not necessarily that all these people saw, but they don't, they don't have the knowledge right. or the intelligence to recognize right. that the person is different than other people. So you worry about the fact that if he's ever on his own doing something and someone doesn't like it and they tell him to stop it, he doesn't respond to that. You know, that's not how he does. If he's focused on it, he's going to keep doing it. Right. Are they going to come and smack him because he didn't understand them? And then that, then they don't understand why that happened to them. And it becomes trauma to them. And then do they suddenly then become afraid to even go to that place where they went before? Uh, yeah. I mean, all that stuff is, is horrifying. Look, like I said, we have great teachers right now, but he's got to go to a completely different school next year. And you worry about, like, I, I've heard good things about the teacher coming up, so you're going to give it a shot. But, you know, I've, I've developed a lot of trust with these two teachers, and I've been able to, like, go on field trips with them. And I can really see, you know, how Kurt's doing and how they're interacting with him. But am I going to get that at the next school? Am I going right. to have that same level of knowledge? Am I going to have that same knowledge of what's going on? Because the teacher we had before was telling us stuff like, oh, you know, I'm not going to be in school today, so Kurt can't come to school. And that turned out to be a lie. She mm. wasn't in school. She just wasn't still with Kurt that day. Oh. She would tell stuff like that. Yeah. She would do all kinds of stuff like that because he was problematic because Kurt doesn't settle down too much. Her solution was to strap him to the chair. So he was always strapped into a chair in her classroom for the majority of it. Now, these teachers now that we have know that, you know what, he just wants to go to a couple places. And if we set the boundaries, okay, you can go to these places, but this one is off limit. You know, that's the thing. Sometimes it takes more effort. It takes more patience. Mm. A lot of people do not have it. Even people that are working in, in special needs, which I don't get, but that's <laughs> their choice. Some people really do think, you know, that, oh, well, I'm going to do it this way. And it's one way. And that's the interesting thing. Like with Kurt, early on problem that he's continued to work through, he's gotten incredibly better with his tantrums, his tantrums and his problems with transition. And good to grow, which I still, the high gold standard of all services we've gotten Half the staff thought that it was best to, if he threw himself down and was going in the tantrum, to not let him tantrum to him to get him up. And the other half thought, no, we just let him get through it. And when he wants to join us, he joins us. And that's the thing. I've had the same problem with Kurt. You know, there's not always one answer and there's not always one way to do stuff, but sometimes you have to find it. And in that level, COVID was a horrible moment. Right. You know, when it was right. shut down but, and the schools were closing, but actually, for my wife and I and Kurt, he had tremendous growth because we were with him 24-7 
He didn't have that school time. And we always had good communication, but it improved even better. And even with the teachers, we did a lot of stuff on Zoom. So a lot of stuff was with his teachers and his speech therapist and his occupational therapist was, well, what strategies should we try to improve Kurt? And the ABA was on Zoom as well. And that period of time with us working on strategies, learned how to tailor a program that was going to get the best for Kurt. Now, that's the thing. When you get bureaucracy and you get people that think there's only one way, you could lose growth. So it's a worry. To get back long-windedly to your question, it's always a worry what people are going to do to your son that don't understand it and don't know how to communicate with him. So you both have done, and of course, you have some wonderful support in Kurt's grandparents, and you both have worked really hard to make his current day, his present, as fulfilling, as full of learning, as full of opportunity as possible. When you think about years down the road and what your hopes are for Kurt, you know, we've, t- we've touched on the fears and we don't need to go there again. I think everybody can understand that. When you think about what you want for Kurt in the future, what you and Jessica have talked about, what do you think about when you think about 20 years down the road? What are your hopes for Kurt? If, I, if I'm removing all fears from the equation, right. which is impossible to do, right. but uh, if I'm doing that, what I always have to remind myself is that you, know, you look at how much growth has gone on. Like I said, old support, old teachers, the speech teacher at school stopped me and telling me, Kurt is really making tremendous strides. He's doing great. So what I hope, do I hope that he keeps, his language keeps improving, he pushes his words on his own, and that he, he learns to speak decently. Right now, he's still wearing diapers, and I have to take care of his needs in that level. I have to bathe him still. So I hope that he's able to do that on his own. I hope that when he's an adult, and my wife and I are gone, that he can possibly live on his own with limited aids helping him out. That would be amazing. And I, I do think it's possible because I always have to you always have to watch and see how far he's come from where he was at one point, how much growth there's been, and how many little small things that maybe you don't even think anymore of him being independent, but those are things that he's independent on that he didn't used to be. And you have to see that the growth is always yes, always there. It's important to remember I, that. But he's And I did that's one of the things sometimes I'm sure every parent as their child is learning to speak, every parent, neurotypical or not. Right. They narrate things to him. Oh, we're going to go take a bath now. Look, oh, you're going to pick up that book over there? Oh, look at that book you've got. You narrate words so it can help them with their language. Right. And, you know, we certainly did that at the early days when he was starting to try to talk and he was in his beginning growth. And sometimes you have to remember, like, always go back to that stuff. You get used to how much he's able to communicate to you nonverbally. So I always have to go back. And like I just said again to myself, I'm, I got to start narrating everything again. Right. Because he wants to learn words. He wants to learn words on his own. So he's listening. And you can see he understands things. I'm able to give him commands. So all that stuff, that's the hope for the future. That the people that work with Kurt and my wife and I, we all continue to remember that sometimes you go back to those early lessons that you may have put aside because you wasn't able to do them at the time. And you try those early lessons again and you grow with them. 
You know, it's so interesting about this is as I'm listening to you speak and, and as I've spoke with other advocates for autism is that early childhood, right? You talked about before Kurt's diagnosis, you did, you parrot, you narrate the situation, right? The same yeah. thing happens as our parents age. And, you know, I'm caring for a bonus mom who has early dementia or mid-dementia signs and I'm parroting with her. Okay, now we're going to go yeah. take a shower. Now, we're, you know, so throughout yeah. our lives, depending on where we are, it's going to be required that we either provide the narration or we receive the narration <laughs> in order to function. And luckily for Kurt and for other children like him or parents like mine, there's somebody there to do that for him. Well, and see what I said there is also the key word to what all is. We're parenting that and providing narration because they want to understand what's happening to them. Right. Be they older people that are suffering from dementia and are afraid, or younger children that are still developing, they want to learn what's going on in their world. And that's sometimes like, you know, I hate to go back to a fear and a previous question, but that's like you said about worried about people that, you know, when you're not with them. Right. People don't remember that they're just trying to get something done. I need this person to come sit down for lunch now. And I'm worried about that instead of knowing that this person wants to know that's what's going on. So it's patience and communication and having the wherewithal to always remember that they want to know. And I think that's one of the keys. Uh, I mentioned that my wife's sister's two boys had autism as well. Yes. Yep. And one of the most plain things that I always try to keep in mind is that the older boy, after he started talking, you know, regularly and fluently, he said, to my wife said, Auntie Jessica, I just want you to know that I understood everything you were saying. Wow. And, and I think that's essential. It's like, I think sometimes, because especially, you know, we're just a busy, fast paced type mentality yep, of the culture. Are. And, and I'm not knocking that. I mean, you know, I, I like to move as well myself. Sure. But we have to remember that they are understanding. We can't just bully them and push them forward for our own agenda and to speed things up. Sometimes we have to slow down and take the moment to realize that it's communication. It's communication, knowledge, and growth. Communication, knowledge, and growth. So important, Stephen. Thank you for taking the time today to share with us your experience. I know that many people are trying to learn more now and help coworkers or friends or, you know, are in that situation themselves and want to know what's the best thing to do for their child, for their niece or nephew or for their grandchild. Do you have any resources that you can share that have helped you? You know, to be honest, I wish I did. My resources were literally just getting on the internet. Googling. And looking up, Googling, searching for everything I could about it, looking for different things, different devices. There's different speech things you can find. There's free stuff always. I know everyone can be helped by it, but you don't have to solve it that one day. Yeah. So if you go on for five minutes a day, and let's say speech has become an issue and you think you can, there's breakthroughs coming, search speech apps and just take a few minutes and look through those. You know, then do a little research, come back to it. My resources, I said it's a national school, I only know in California. If you're a young person out there with, I mean, you have a young child out there that's around one to two, look up Good to Grow. Good to Grow. And also, Good to Grow. And again, my, I regret that we didn't, when we, when we knew it was a likely 
possibility that he was autistic. I, I, you know, you can't regret too, you know, in life, obviously, right. but I wish I had done differently. I wish we had jumped on the ball and just got him diagnosed earlier. That would have put him into good to grow earlier, which would have given him more time in that program, which was great. So I recommend that, um, you know, you're your child's advocate and unfortunately no one else is going to be it. Right. But there's a lot of places don't have much help or any. So you've got to be that squeaky wheel. And, you know, and I, I wish anyone left is going through it because it's a lifelong thing. It is a lifelong thing. And, and you're not alone. So the resources are out there and the communities are out there for parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles that are working with children that need this little extra help, special needs. I like that. If somebody wants to reach out to you, Stephen, and ask for some advice or chat with you a little bit, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, you know, not to be sure how old I am, but I guess it would be Facebook. So. <laughs> okay. Stephen Lamprinos. Okay. Just that. It's a account. So you could message me and I would say, if you message me, put that you heard me on this podcast up front. You know, I, I, I look at your question and whatnot, and I would be happy to. If anyone needs, you know, someone just, uh, hey, look, it's a tough road. So if someone needs just to vent to someone else right. for five minutes, I get it. I get it. It's hard. And as I said, you know, we all go through our different levels, what we go through. The spectrum is wide. So your element in the spectrum, though may not be as extreme as my son's element in the spectrum, it's still giant to you. You have to get the help and need that you require. So we have, and we have to be patient with everybody. And like I said, that's one of my faults. Sometimes I'm not as patient with those that are completely high functioning as I should be because I, what I go through. And I have to remember that, again, like I said, everyone goes through what they need to go through or have to go through. Well, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story and for being willing to talk about the drama and the trauma that your family has faced and are facing daily and sharing with us the tenacity that's required just to make sure your child gets the resources that he needs. Really, thank you so much for joining me on HR Latte. And we'll make sure we put resources in the bio of this episode and make sure that anybody's interested can reach out to you, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Well, thank you for doing what you can to shine the light. That's what we need. More people that want to shine a light and give a little help to them. That's great. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to this episode of HR Latte. This podcast is brought to you by Never Enough Media and is produced by host Rayanne Thorne Kruger. Our editor is Igor Kuzmanovsky and Dick Delecki as our announcer. With featured music, Grab a Coffee and Go by Tiny Music. Special thanks to those who have made HR Latte possible over the years with their ideas, support, and feedback. 